that your word is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing, dividing bone and marrow, soul and spirit, discerning the thought and intents of our heart. And that's exactly what we need and exactly what we want. God, we give you access like birds chirping for food. So too, we stand on the promise of your word that says, if my people would open their mouths wide, I would fill them. Fill us, please, God, that we would become all that you've called us to be, and nothing would hinder that. No curse of the enemy, no scheme of man, nothing would stop the irrevocable calling that you've placed on our lives, which would never be retracted. Thank you, God, for that. We lift this up to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. James, in rounding out the last chapter of his book, he seems to address a few issues that were happening in the church that I think are so important. And the problem with this last part of this chapter is it does not tell with the English language it's translated to the whole story. So what I did was what I, um, I usually don't, but I did is I translated some of the words that are there that we can get a fuller understanding of exactly what James was saying. Because it seems a little weird what he says here. Hey, Mikey, I'm calling you guys out. When you're six foot five, it's really hard to creep in. <laughs> it seemed he was like this. He was still taller than everybody else. Verse 13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Please, give me your attention. Why would he start there? It just seems so weird and out of place. What do you mean, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Well, thanks a lot, pal. Hey, are you suffering? Pray about it. Until you break it down a little bit, and then you kind of understand the position that he takes here. He says, is anyone among you suffering? That word for suffering in the Greek is kakopathio. Am I saying that right, Johnny? Is he here? No, I'm not saying it right or he's not here. Yes, which means afflicted, endure hardness, suffer trouble, be afflicted. If you are afflicted, you are to pray. If you're in the middle of something, you are to pray. Now, for the sake of that sentence, and I'm going to expound on it, please stay with me. The word prayer is a wish expressed as a petition to God or in votive obligation, prayer, otherwise known as supplication. It seems to not be much of an answer. We find prayer to be one of those things that we say to people when we have nothing left to say. We can't do anything else. Oh, your rent's due? Mm, I got no money. You know, I'll be praying for you. This is a faulty human earthly attitude. If anyone among you is suffering... Let him pray. 
This word for prayer is a feminine noun, meaning an abiding word. Here's what it means, basically, guys. Let me, let me transliterate it for you. Stick in. Don't run from it. God's going to show up. You don't need a psychiatrist, a psychotherapist, an analyst. You don't need medications for this type of affliction. Now, please stay with me because there are times you need those things, and we're going to get to that. This affliction is a God-ordained process, a God-ordained suffering that he wants you to walk through to make you strong. Why does James say this? Well, remember who we're talking about here, guys. This is the Lord's brother. I don't know what you've been through. I mean, when we talk about things that people have been through, some people like had cancer, and, 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 and some died, and some were healed. Some people have lost a brother, a sister. Some people have lost a parent. Some people have lost a child. That's suffering. Not losing your job, going broke, your house closed. Ah. Now those things suck, but we're talking about something where we always ask the question, if God's all powerful and God's all good, then why does evil exist in this world? And there's no easy answer to that question that's going to satisfy any non-believer alone. But to satisfy the believer with an answer to that question, it's to make you stronger and to prepare you for ministry. I can't tell the world this, this makes no sense. Oh, well, that's a great excuse you Christians have. You're right. Without faith, it's impossible. It's impossible to please God, and it's impossible to please you, world. But as a Christian, you've enlisted in an army. You are, by process of your own confession of faith, you are put into this world to be effective. And in order to be effective, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. You're going through problems in your marriage? You know why? It ain't about you and her or you and him. It's about you and God. You're going through financial problems? It's not about you and your finances. It's about you and God. God is trying to strengthen your faith so that you could strengthen others with the same faith, the same comfort he gives you. He wants you now to be able to give others. Some of you guys here have lost a child. Some of you guys here have been through divorce. I mean, goodness. How, when, and why, God? I don't understand. I don't understand. God loves those prayers. Let him pray. Don't run from it. Don't medicate. Now, this verse kind of makes a little more sense. And with that same thought 
or same attitude and mind, he says, is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing psalms. What do you do with your cheerfulness? What do you do when you're happy? What do you do? Well, here's what the Bible says. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Don't ever forget that there are some that are suffering. So what are you going to do when you're cheerful? When, when you're on the good side of things? Pfft. Worship, man. God, thank you so much. You know, being around the church as many years as I have, I've been around the church like 30 years, been in ministry for over 20 years now. Here's what we see. There's two kinds of people, basically. There's people who run away from God when things are good and people who run away from things of God when, run away from God when things are bad. Some, you always know when some people are doing good because they're here at church. Hallelujah. And we always know when some people are doing bad because we never see them. Like, and, and after all these years, you start to learn, yeah, what's going on with so-and-so? Yeah, they're on the downside again. How do you know? Because they're not here. That's what they do. They run away when things are tough. Or some people come back to church and go, oh, they must have wrecked their life again. Why? They're back in church. Here, James gives the, the instruction. He says, listen, when things are good, you know, because Christians are either coming in or going out of a trial. That's kind of our life, right? We know that. We're either going in a trial or coming out of a trial. When you're coming out of a trial, when you're on the other side of a trial, man, praise God. Sing songs. There's so much good stuff. I just found this new girl, and to me she's new. Her name is uh, Tasha Cobb. Is it? Her videos have like 8 billion views, and I never heard of her till the other day. You know, but what worship, man, just soulful, choral, just build. I just, I've listened to a couple of hours of her stuff that she has online, and it's just amazing. And it's, it's worshipful. And I always find, remember, we don't worship worship. We always got to look for new worship because it gets old. Like, if, if, if I hear, you know, another third-day song, I'm going to throw up in my mouth. It's not that they're bad, just I'm sick of them. It's just worship. It's just music. It's not God. Like, I'm with somebody, and they'll put a worship song, and I can't stand that song. Are you allowed to say that? Yeah, it's just a song. I don't like that song. I don't worship worship. I worship God. That's dangerous, because some people worship worship. And they only go to church if the band's rocking. Well, I heard about this church over there. The guy stands up front and does this whole thing. And I've been at church like that, and I'm like, what is he doing? Brian, do you want me to do that again? Oh. I'll, be, I'll be your weekly entertainment, Eric. Is anyone among you cheerful? Sing a psalm, man. Have you done that? Have you gone on a prayer walk? You'll notice every few months, well, it's been a while, but we used to do, instead of a night of prayer, you guys that are, that are Sunday goers, we have a service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, believe it or not. <laughs> we do once a month, the first Wednesday of every month, we have a prayer meeting. And then every few months, we do what's called a praise meeting where we just get a few guitars and we just sing songs just to lift up some songs of praise. Sometimes we let the kids dance in the middle, although that becomes distracting. 
we just do a night of praise, man. As a matter of fact, is Drew here? They're working on a night of praise. They, the, the, the forge is put together. Are you guys almost ready? Do you know about that yet, Jackie? He hasn't told you? You ready? Is anyone among you suffering? Stick in. Don't run away from it. Be, endure the training. In wrestling, we have something called embracing the grind. Embracing the grind. In exercise, you have two kinds of exercise. One is aerobic and one is anaerobic. Aerobic is running, biking, swimming. It's getting a... A good, then there's anaerobic. And there's very few things like wrestling, judo, some jujitsu, but wrestling is called isometrics when two people bang against each other and they push and they hold and the body starts to breathe. And in wrestling, you gotta embrace that. Otherwise, you'll find yourself broken. That's why I love to use wrestling as such a, an amazing example of our walk with Christ. You got to embrace the grind in this thing. Listen to me. You're just a sheep led to the slaughter. That's all you are. I'm sorry to warn you about this, but if nobody did and you accepted Christ thinking it's, it's like a bed of roses after that, Man, you're going to suffer probably more than the world. You got something they don't have. You embrace the grind. Get to a place where fatigue is no longer a question, where exhaustion is it's part of it. It'll make a little more sense in a minute. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? That word for sick is an interesting word. To be weak, feeble, without strength, powerless. To be weak in means, needy, poor. To be feeble, sick. Twelve times it's translated weak, ten times sick in the New Testament. Why is that important? Listen, let's take away the, the horrible diseases the light diseases, more than anything else, weakness of mind, mental illness. Not weak like you're so weak. Weak is in broken. You know what I'm learning <laughs> in the latter 50s of my life? My mind is not as strong as I thought it was. And if I'm not careful to get rest, if I'm not careful to, um, to be kinder, if I'm not careful to take care of myself, the bottom end of my consciousness breaks open and I fall into something called depression. And I don't know it's happening. I don't realize it. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm consciously thinking about horrible endings to my life all the time. 
And for a long time, I fought that. No, I'm just going to ignore it. Nobody will understand. I'm not supposed to be weak. I'm supposed to be strong. And I want to wonder right now how many of you guys are here who know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're afraid to say anything to anybody because they're going to think you're weak. Because you're all alone in this thing. Nobody knows. But they, they don't understand. They'll never understand. And I bet there's so many of you here right now that are like, please keep preaching it. Some of you guys might not understand. I mean, if you never had, if you, if you don't understand what I'm saying, you don't understand. Because I was like you up until about five years ago, four years ago. Like, suck it up. What do you, what do you mean you need medication? Are you kidding me? You're going to a psychiatrist. Oh, please, don't tell me that. Like, no, nah, I ain't like that. Sometimes you need to talk to somebody. Now, absolutely positively recommend some kind of psychoanalyst or psychotherapist that believes in Christ because the worst thing that you can do is go to a psychiatrist who's going to do what's called a spiritual autopsy. Well, let's cut you open a little bit and see what you did. Oh, my goodness. And now all of a sudden, they start to raise these horrible things that happened in your life, telling you, well, it's not, it's not sin, it's a disease. The reason you do drugs is you have a disease. The reason you sleep around is because you have a disease. The reason you do drugs is because you have a disease. We don't want that. But when you go to a good psychotherapist, somebody with a degree, and they could look at the science and they could say to you, you know, here's what's happening to you. You may have a chemical imbalance and we need to do some tests. And they find out that your serotonin levels are too low. Your dopamine levels are non-existent. You might need medication. Now, we always have this thing, what came first? Was it, was it the depletion of the chemical or was it the depression? We, we don't know the answer to that. Because some people truly are depressed because they're depressed. Well, that makes no sense. No, no, it really does. Some people like lean into it. And then because they lean into it, and they don't sing, they don't pray, they don't call for the elders of the church, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. But be that as it may, these things must be tested and found out. Don't go at this thing alone. Don't think of yourself weak. Don't think of yourself as broken. Don't think of yourself as alone, especially. You're not alone. You're not. You're not alone. If you're afraid of small and closed places, that's called claustrophobia. That's real. If you're afraid of crowds and, and, and your heart starts beating and you start to get it back, that's real. If your mind has, like I said, the bottom end of your consciousness is broken open and you fell down that hole and you are falling into a clinical depression, there's evidence, there's reason. And a psychoanalyst, a good Christian 
psychotherapist can tell you, here's what's going on. Well, what, 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 what do I do, Ryan? You might be here like, what do I do? Well, here's the first thing you do, okay? There are really five things, and I looked them up, and here's five basic things you can do. The first things first, call for the elders of the church. Listen, let's read the end of that thing. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. The Lord will raise him up. Do you understand? The first things first, let's make sure it's not spiritual. It might be a spiritual attack. You might be under the attack of the enemy. You might have done something to really set him off and he wants to destroy you before you do it more. Number two, check your diet. If you're not getting a balanced diet, too many sugars, not enough proteins, can really mess you up. If you're doing intermittent fasting, like myself, I do intermittent fasting for years. Me and my son, we have this crazy thing. Now watch, watch this. The world calls it hangry, right? When I don't eat, if I'm not conscious of what I'm doing, I literally fall into a weird state of mind. If I'm not conscious, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fasting, I forgot. I, got, I, I, I can literally trip over this thing and I sing. My son used to get this look on his face because he's an athlete and because sometimes he could eat, sometimes he couldn't. I just look at him and I used to go, have you eaten yet today? He was just a little kid at the time. No. You got the same thing your dad is. You need to go, you need to go make yourself a peanut butter sandwich. Why? Because I could see it. I could see it. You've allowed yourself to fall into a place. So one, prayer. Two, diet. Three, and this is probably the most important out of the physical aspect of it, you need to exercise. You need to get your heart rate up to 125 to 175 beats per minute every single day. Yeah, but I don't want to do anything. Well, then you're on the rat wheel. You ever see that hamster wheel? I don't want to do anything. I don't feel like doing anything. I don't feel like doing anything, so I don't do anything. I don't do anything, so my body doesn't release serotonin, doesn't release dopamine, doesn't release adrenaline. I get no exercise. I don't like what I see when I look in the mirror. And now you're on that wheel. Start with a brisk walk. Start with some calisthenics. You got to get moving. Got to, got to, got to get moving. Vitamin D, sunlight. People who are depressed don't want to go outside. People who are sick don't like the sun. And that's exactly what you need. Do you know how many people that had COVID died because they had no vitamin D inside them? because people don't want to go outside, they just want to sit on there. You gotta get out in the sun, man. You gotta at least take some vitamin D3 pills. But, but, but there's no substitute for, man, take, yeah, I almost said, guys, take your shirt off, man. Go outside, get some sun on you. Ladies, whatever it is that you're gonna do to get sun, do. These things are real. 
And again, if you don't understand what I'm saying, look, it's like having a kid. When you have a kid and your kid's acting up, and you're in like the grocery store, you're walking around and your kid's acting up, somebody who doesn't have a kid can look at you, they shake their head, they make a comment, right? Like, somebody who has a kid, you don't need to say anything. Somebody who doesn't have a kid, all the explanation in the world's not gonna help, right? They don't understand. Same situation. If you're depressed, these are the things that you have to do. And five, and this is the absolute most important, please, please, I beg of you, stay away from alcohol. The one thing your consciousness is telling you to do is drink. The one thing your body is begging you not to do is drink. It will kill your serotonin levels. It will kill your dopamine levels. It will take away your inhibitions. You'll do stupid things, and you will be more depressed afterward than before. You got them? Now, I know it's hard because everything is telling you not to do those things, but before you go and get on medication, because the problem with medication is once you're on it, now your whole chemical system is jacked up. And it's really, really hard. Now, some people do need, absolutely do need medicine. And there are people who are not functional in society without medication that are functional and a good part of society and good family people because they found the right psychoanalyst, psychotherapist, psychiatrist. They were prescribed the medication and it worked. But far more are on medication that do not need it. Far more are being prescribed. Our kids in the 70s and 80s were just test monkeys for Ritalin. Put them on Ritalin. They're hyperactive. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Now, some well-intended Christians took this verse to mean that God will heal you if you are sick, if you have cancer, if you have a cold, if you have the flu, if you have any kind of disease that, I don't want to start naming all the horrible afflictions in the, in the, in the bodies of men. That is not what it means. And here's why I'm going to say this to you. If you keep your place here, turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to come back here, so don't leave here. 2 Corinthians, just a few pages to your left, 12. We're going to start in verse 7. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, explaining to them why he hasn't come to see them, what's going on in his life. He really wants to get back there. But here's what he says to them. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Please, give me your attention. Let me paraphrase let me shorten it. Man, I've been sick as a dog, and I, I just, I know it's got to be the enemy trying to keep me down. 
I've been sick as a dog, and it's the enemy trying to keep me down. So why didn't he just call for the elders of the church to get anointed on? I mean, the Apostle Paul, do you know how many people he's prayed for that got healed? Come on. He should just, just lay hands on himself. You're healed. Ow. I can be gentle with myself. Concerning this thing, verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. <laughs> I'm sorry. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You want a healing? And somebody lied to you and told you if you have enough faith, you can be healed? When God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't want to get divorced, Lord. Please fix this. God, I don't want, to, I don't want this to happen to my son. I don't want it. And, and just like the Apostle Paul, the Lord will reach down and put his hand on you. Somehow, somewhere in your heart, give you some kind of peace that surpasses understanding and say, I'm sorry. But my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Oh, my goodness. So how somebody can take a verse so far out of context to say God has to heal. Throughout the Bible, there's story after story after story of people who do not receive their healing, do not receive their deliverance. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, which I also believe the Apostle Paul wrote, the world was not worthy of them. And they didn't receive deliverance. And how some people now, going back to James chapter 5, can take this verse and say, see, if you just pray with faith, you will be saved from your sickness. Except when you break this down a little bit, the word save is the word in Greek, soso, which is to deliver, to protect, to preserve, or to heal, to do well, to be made whole. That's not to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. Here's the promise. God will get you through it, man. God's going to pull you through it. He might pull you through it to death, but you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He's going to use this for the benefit of others. Man, if this isn't, if this isn't like comforting to you, yeah, I'm with you. Like 100%. This is the suck side of believing in Christ. You have to go through hard stuff. You have to embrace this grind. And if you sit at home alone and let yourself sink into a depression and don't share with others the goodness that God has done to you, then you're missing out on the best part. The best part. I'm sorry, guys. This is not a, uh, this is not a good one. Verse 
Now, the latter part of verse 15. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, that is an interesting aspect that some of you have to now wrap your head around. Some of us are sick, are weak, because of our sin. There's a very famous story about these men that brought this guy. As a matter of fact, they went to, they believe it's Peter's house, and they literally cut the roof out of Peter's house, and they let him down on a, on a cot right there. And the Lord looks at him, and he goes, your sins are forgiven. And the, and the religious leaders of the day freaked out. Who is this man that he thinks he can forgive sin? Who does he think he is? And he says to them, he says, what's easier for me to say? Be healed or your sin is forgiven. And here's not just the implication. Here is the complete layout. This guy, some would say, was in the final throes of uh, a sexually transmitted disease that was very common back then called syphilis. Some of us are sick and are weak because of stupid things we did. And now, what we want and what we need more than anything else is to know you're forgiven. How many of you guys here, like myself, who are part of abortions, multiple abortions? God can't forgive that. I don't know. No, that's a place in my heart. Don't go, don't go there. And how many of you guys think you're part of a divorce. God, oh, you may be from part of a Catholic background. Oh, no, 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 no. They wouldn't let me even take communion at my Catholic church because I got divorced. And the Lord, like, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And you're useful. And I'm going to use you for great things. It's a really sad story in, in the Bible where God tells David that his hands are too bloody from war, that he can't use him. Sorry, David, your, your hands are too bloody. You're, I'm going to use your son. I can't use you to build the temple. And you know what David does? He goes, oh, I, I understand. So he does. Is he writes down all of the design, the wood. He, I'm just writing it down, God. Just writing it down. And he gives it to his son, and his son uses it. And it's almost like David gets to heaven, and God goes, you've been a naughty boy, David. I told you, my son. That's my son. And we have to take that attitude with, with our, whatever it is, brokenness we have. You, you can't. You were in prison. You, whatever brokenness, whatever divorced, remarried. Listen, you are made new in Christ. Behold, I make all things new. How many women I know they are promiscuous or danced in a club or come from a, some kind, and they just think they're just filthy and foul. No man is ever going to want me. No, ah, man, don't let the enemy lie to you, sister. You're pure, you're made whole, you're perfect in Christ.
perfect. And then continuing to finish, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. In Christianity, we have this thing we call accountability. It's this made-up thing that we do to each other where we all get together and we tell each other our sins and, and then we find out that somebody's been talking to somebody else or this guy was lying the whole time. I was a part of an accountability group. Me and Marty were part of an accountability group some 20 years ago together. And two of the guys in the group, one guy was like having sex with the other dude's wife. And Every week we were getting together and you didn't think you want to mention that, buddy? It was ridiculous. Remember that, Marty? So here's the thing. Here's my opinion. Maybe, maybe it's wrong, but my opinion on accountability groups is uh, be careful what you say to who. Be careful what you say to who. Um, but the end result is this, and this is what I love about God. If I took one of your lives and I put all your sins up there, you'd be absolutely flabbergasted. You would be, oh my goodness, how could you put my sins up on the board? How could you say that? How could you announce that? Then what? Nothing more they could say, could they? It's all out there. That's it. But if you find a confidant, if you find a friend, a brother, a sister that can... Sisters shouldn't be confessing things to brothers, and brothers shouldn't be confessing things to sisters. Whether you like that or not, I, I don't care, because I've never seen that end well. Never. Um, it's good to find somebody that you can pray for you, be a part of a group and accountability with. Hey, man, I'm really struggling this week. Can you? The Bible says in, in uh, Proverbs 18, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all wise judgment. Man, don't isolate yourself in this thing. You with me? Continuing. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Very important. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word for effective is the word energio, where we get our English word for energy. Here, the Apostle James, which, in case you didn't know this, James, again, the, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, if you look up church history, you know what his nickname was? Camel knees. Camel knees. They said that he was on his knees so much that his knees were so calloused they were like the knees of a camel because he was a person of prayer. That's what James's nickname was. Oh, that's old camel knees over there. He believed that prayer changed things. Wishes to God, petitions, supplications, he believed in that. We at this church believe in it. That's why we dedicate so much time and so many days a month. We believe. If I told you that if you prayed for your kids every single day, by the end of their days, they will be ushered into the kingdom of heaven, would you believe me? I mean, honestly, would you believe me? Don't let a day, don't, every single day you pray for your children, by before they die, they will be ushered into the kingdom of heaven on, their, on the last beat of their heart. You will literally 
push them through the gate of heaven. Do you believe that? I mean, if you prayed every, I mean, how many of you guys pray every, not every day, no, every day. Do you believe it? Then why, not, then why don't we do it? Get over here, you little turd. Father, bless this little turd. May they walk with God all the days of their lives. Get out of here. Go play. Every day. James believed in the power of prayer. He said, again, listen to that. The effective energy, energy. Now, here's the implication. The energy prayer. The energy prayer. How do you pray with energy? I don't know. Because <laughs> some people, energy is one thing, and others. But there's this, there's an amazing pamphlet out there. It's called The, the Prevailing Prince of Prayer. Uh, it's the story of William, William Nash, is it? William Nash, The Prevailing Prince of Prayer. In the 1940s in New York, in upstate New York, there was a um, revival. People in the 40s were getting saved in upstate New York like crazy. There was a man named William Finney, I believe. Was it William Finney? Anybody? Church history guys here? William Finney was a preacher, and everywhere he'd preach, people were getting saved in the 40s. Well, before he would go into a town, he would send William Nash. And Nash would rent a hotel room and pray all day and all night for two to three weeks before Finney got there. And Finney believed that it was Nash's praying that paved the way for revival. In this book, it says sometimes this Nash guy would pray so hard he would get nosebleeds. Like, how did that happen? What, what, I'm missing something when I pray. <laughs> I don't know, you're going to have to find that yourself. It was Warren Wiersbe who said the amazing phrase, the secret to prayer is secret prayer. Um, you, have to, uh, you have to find out because the only way to get good at prayer is to pray. Some people definitely have a gift, the gift of prayer, but some people, you, you, you got to just pray, man. You just got to get, get about it. And figure that out for yourself. Um, now, finishing. Uh, I don't think we're going to get to the rest of it, but we'll, we'll save 19 for next week, so let me just finish up this last part. The effectual, I'm sorry, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain. Um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be obedient to God for once. I'm going to save the rest of that for next week. Okay, we're going to end it right there because I think I threw so much at you right now and I don't, wanna, I don't want your mind to, to lose any of the stuff that I talked about, especially you guys that are let struggle with um, depression. I want you guys to have that fresh in your brain, the things that I said. If you have any questions about the things that I said or if you want that list of five things, it's up here, believe me. I've been working it myself. 
So um, we can talk afterward. Other than that, uh, let's pray and thank God. Father, we thank you for the word that you've given us today, and I pray by the power of your love, by the power of your spirit, I pray over this church and, and all the churches that are gathering today, your word that says, the same power is in us that raised Christ from the dead. Raise us up, God. Raise us up. Raise us up. God, may the power of your word and the enlightenment of good science that comes from you help people to change their lives today, God. Thank you so much for doctors, especially psychiatrists and psychotherapists and psychoanalysts. Thank you so much, God, that there are good people. Thank you, God, for the medications that you made. Thank you, God, that there's even more power in prayer than we thought. Thank you, God, for today's word. We love you, and we want to apply these things to our lives. So give us the strength to do this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.